0: You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Hey, man. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Excited? You got the crisp air and the sun and everything's going. Uh, today, we're continuing in our series game plan. And even though uh, the Seahawks, their game plan is being re-engineered for next year, <laughs> we're still going. So, hey, hey it's, I, I'm a Seahawks fan. That's all right. I'm a hockey fan, but I can see hocks are good too. So if if you're Bibles today, uh, I encourage you to get it out. We're going to go all the way back from the Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to be particularly focusing on verses 1 through 10. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the importance of the coach. It's important to have the right coach, to follow the right coach, which of course is God. And all this, this is just an analogy to help teach us, to help connect us to what God is doing. But how many know that having the right coach doesn't do a lot of good if you're out on the field and you can't hear the coach or you don't listen to the coach? Have you ever seen those players? Those players are called bench warmers, okay? If you're not listening to the coach, if you can't hear the coach, or you're having problems with what going, is going on, you're going to have a big problem in your life. We need to hear our coach. Our ear needs to be turned to our coach. And oftentimes when I talk to people about hearing God and having this ongoing conversation, I'll often hear people ask the question back, you know, Dwayne, can we really hear God today? Or you know what? Sometimes when I pray... I feel like no one is listening. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in a part in your life where you're like, you know, I've I've heard people say that you can hear God and that when we pray, He's listening, and that He's as close as the mention of His name, but I'm just not feeling it. It's not there for me. And there are times in my life when I've even echoed that, when I've even questioned that. But what I'm here to tell you today is that God is speaking. He has spoken, he is speaking, and he continues to speak. He's transmitting, but when I have found myself in those places of questioning, the problem has never been God, the problem's been Dwayne. Everyone say, the problem is (laughs) Dwayne. Right? The problem's been me. God is speaking, he is faithful. But as we look at this story today, a little boy, Samuel... I'm hoping that it will resonate in you and it will refresh that voice of God because God has made himself known to us, not to just know about him, but he wants us to know him, to walk with him, to hear his voice, and to respond to it. So let's look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 10. It starts off by saying, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. So one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. How many of you have said that to your kids? (laughs) Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called again. Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back too bad. I'm sure he said it with a little more passion in his voice. Yeah, one more time. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and he went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized It was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In this passage, we see it depicted how a 12-year-old boy, most theologians put Samuel at the age of 12 at this point, though he'd been there longer, how God is now transitioning him from just being a boy who's serving in the temple to now he's to become the first prophet since Moses at the age of 12. At the age of 12. And it all begins... With him hearing God's voice. Isn't that amazing? God is speaking to us. He's speaking to us. And the voice of the Lord transforms us. My prayer is that as we walk through this today, that there would be no doubt in our lives that God is speaking to us. How many of you're you're like, you want to echo that? Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If that's your heart, just say that. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Say it again: speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Father, we thank you for your voice. We thank you for your word. Your word is transformative. The breath of God. The same breath that breathed into a dust bowl and made Adam. Your breath transforms us. So, Lord, may it be our heart today to say, Speak, Lord. We, your servants, we are listening to you today. Speak to us. Speak through me. Let the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, anointed by you, given by you for your purpose and your will and your way. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And every servant of the Lord said together, amen, amen. amen. So as we focus on this today, we could speak the whole year about this. But we're going to focus in on three key things as it comes to hearing God. And I'm hoping that you'll really tune in today. But as we look at hearing the voice of God, three key things that we're going to focus in on. One, hearing God's voice, first of all, it requires a commitment to the coach. Everyone say, committed to the coach. Right? So being committed to the coach, we also need to make sure that as we walk this out, that we are also, that we know the playbook. Say, know the playbook. What's our playbook? The Bible. There you go, yeah. I thought you were going to say Jesus. Okay. Know the playbook. (laughs) Jesus is in it. He is the Word. He's the Word made flesh, okay? So know the playbook. I would have accepted both answers, okay? But thirdly, we also need to obey His voice. Say, obey His voice. voice. So, hearing the voice of God, we need to be committed to His voice, committed to it. We also need to know the Word of God, know the playbook. But we need to obey His voice, obey His voice. So, let's begin with the first one. The first one is we need to be committed to the coach. I'm committed to you, coach. See, as we look at Samuel, Samuel had already committed himself to God from a very young age. If you know this story, Samuel was, and this is close to my heart, Samuel was a miracle child because Hannah walked through what my wife and I walked through. She walked through barrenness. She couldn't have a child, okay? So these aren't hockey tears. These are baby tears. Hannah walked through barrenness. She wanted a child so bad. So, what did Hannah do? Hannah went and she cried out to the Lord. She cried out to the Lord so strong and so hard that Eli thought she was drunk. And he walked over and he corrected her, but she's like, No, my, I'm not drunk. I am pursuing God. And she made a promise. She made a promise. She said, God, if you will give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. Here's Hannah's prayer. Hannah prayed, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you, and he will be yours your entire lifetime. I mean, his entire lifetime. See, Hannah presented Samuel to God at a young age before he was even born. She committed Samuel to the Lord. He's yours, Lord. He is yours. And from the time that he was weaned, she brought him, and she presented him to the priest Eli, where he studied and he served in the temple as a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite in those days was someone who was set apart, either a, either a, a male or a female, set apart for the purpose of God. And there were even practices in that that showed how they were set apart. See, you always know when somebody is set apart for something. You know who the athletes are in the room. When I take an athlete with me to Five Guys Burgers, they eat differently than I do. (laughs) Because they're in training. They've set themselves apart for a purpose. This is the Nazarite way. And so from a very early age, he was set apart for this. But even though he was set apart for this, Samuel didn't know the voice of God. See Samuel, he knew about God. He had a lot of knowledge about God and Eli was training him in the temple. But he didn't know the voice of God. The voice that Samuel knew was the voice of Eli. This is why three times he ran because he's there and he's like if somebody's speaking to me right now, Eli is the only one here. And it has to be Eli. And three times he ran. But this also illustrates that Eli wasn't as familiar with the voice of God. Eli didn't know the voice of God, because what did Eli say? Go to bed. How many parents, sometimes you've missed the voice of God to your kids, right? <laughs> they get up, and maybe it's divine appointment. You're going, go to bed. I'm so tired. Eli did. It took three times, which shows the persistence of God. We know this in verse 1 when it says, in those days, the voice... Messages from the Lord were very rare and visions very uncommon. And not only that, but in that era, in that time, we learn from Judges 21 that they were living in a time when people did whatever was right in their own eyes. Not much unlike today, is it? Right? It's all about me. No offense to Apple. I love Apple, but it's the iWatch, it's the iPad, it's the iPod, it's iDwayne, right? Insert your own name into that. It's all about me, doing whatever's right in your own eyes. But see, when we are committed to God, we are committed to hearing his voice. And in order to hear God's voice, it requires humility and commitment. It requires humility and commitment. Not the kind of humility that's like, let me tell you how humble I am today. (laughs) Let me tell you how humble I am. You need to know this. It's a humility that is reflected in our actions, in our words, in everything that we do. And this is what Samuel did. When the Lord spoke, what did Samuel say? He said, speak, Lord. He immediately recognized him as Lord, Yahweh. He recognized him as God, the voice of God, the God who made me, the God God who created me, the God who has a plan for my life, the God, the great I am. And then he said, speak your servant, Again, another intentional word. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, I recognize who you are, and I recognize who I am. With humility and commitment, you are Lord. I am your servant. Speak, I am listening. I surrender myself to you. See, this is essential, and it's so important that we approach the Lord in this way, never forgetting He is God, not me. I am His servant. I willingly serve. This is so important as it comes to hearing the voice of God because when it comes to the voice of God, there are so many things trying to distract us. So many things. We're distracted all the time. I have to work hard not to be distracted. Very hard. Sometimes I'll put myself even in in a room with myself with no electronics and just a book so I'm not distracted by anything. I'll do silent prayer retreats sometimes when I pull away from all technology, pull away even from Wi-Fi contact, you know. When the Wi-Fi goes down, we're like, oh, no, how can we live? I'll pull away from all of that because I don't want to be distracted, and I have to work hard at that. See, we're distracted by a lot of things, and one of the biggest hindrances that we have in our lives to God's voice is often the voices of others, right? Other people coming in with a lot of opinions, See, everyone has an opinion, and today, because of technology, everybody has a platform to get it out. Isn't that awesome? You had to work to get a platform or to get an opportunity to get it out. Today, with one click, you can get it out there. You can get your opinion out there. You can get your voice out there. But here's something that we need to understand and be reminded of. Not every opinion deserves your attention, does it? right? Not every opinion <laughs> deserves your attention. I mean, as we look at this football analogy as it relates to football, okay, as, especially as we get to the Super Bowl, the coaches that are heading into the playoffs They don't walk into the field going, man, i got to make sure my Facebook feed is up, that my Twitter feed is up. I want to hear what Dwayne has to say about the game today. Or I want to hear what that person has to say about the game today. Let's make sure that we hear every opinion going on. That would be pretty foolish, wouldn't it? And yet, have you ever tried to watch a game with somebody that they didn't know the game of football, but they had a lot of opinions? (laughs) Don't point to them, Right? I've done that, I've been that guy before, okay? But times when we come in, that they're saying, why are they all dressed up in that gear like that? Why do they hit each other? That doesn't look very nice, or why are they doing this? Why are they throwing the ball? Can't they all just get along? Can't they take turns scoring? Can't they do that? Is that an enjoyable game? No, I've watched the game with some of you, and you're like, get in there, get that play! And not only that, Is a coach going to listen to somebody who doesn't know the game, doesn't know the play, and they're not even at the stadium? But we do that. We give attention to people that they don't know the Word of God. They're trying to speak all kinds of opinions against it that they haven't studied about. They've not been in the game with us, and they're not even in their lives. But we allow those voices to come in and distract us. Now, I'm not saying be rude or be unkind or any of that. But so many times, we give so much attention and so much weight to such an opinion that has not even been studied out. And it distracts us. It pulls us away from the voice of God, from what they're wanting to do. But not only are we distracted by other voices, we're often distracted by the biggest voice in our life. And you know what the biggest voice in your life often is? Yours. Yours. And yours, and yours, and yours. It's our own voice. We're often distracted by our own voice. And not only that, as we listen to our voice, we're often distracted to the point where we are even deafened by our own voice speaking to us, right? One of the books that I mentioned last week that I've been reading is Mark Batterson's book, Whisper. And to point out this fact about how our voice deafens us, He uses an illustration that's called the Tomatis effect. Have you heard of the Tomatis effect before? (laughs) Last week. (laughs) You're paying attention, Bob, thanks. The Tomatis effect, okay? The Tomatis effect, this was more than about a half a century ago when Dr. Tomatis had this well-renowned opera singer come to him and say, you know what? I'm no longer able to hit voices that I know they're well within my range. I should be able to hit them, and I'm not. I've been to ear, nose, and throat doctors. They think there's something wrong with my voice. I don't think it's that. What is going on? Dr. Tomatis went through this study, believing it was something else, and he discovered that that an opera singer, when they are singing, about a meter from their voice, it records at about 140 decibels. Now, 140 decibels is just a little bit softer than, or a little bit louder, rather, than a fighter jet taking off. Okay? You thought rock and roll was loud, okay? Can't hold anything in opera. 140 decibels. Not only that, that's just the sound of what it registers outside of the mouth, a meter away. Inside of the opera singer's head, inside of their skull, it registers even louder, And what this doctor discovered was that this singer was being uh, made deaf in certain areas by their own voice. Their own voice was literally causing this person to go deaf in certain areas. And what this doctor discovered was if you can't hear the note, listen to me here, if you can't hear the note, you can't sing the note. Think about that. If you can't hear the note, you can't sing the note. In other words, and in Dr. Tomas' words, the voice can only produce, can only reproduce what the ear can hear. If you can't hear it, you can't sing it. Now, think about this from the spiritual side. How many times does our own voice make us deaf to what God is trying to say to us? And not only that, how many times are we guilty of having selective hearing? You ever heard of selective hearing? Okay, I perfected that as a kid. We only hear certain things. We allow our own voice, our own desires, the things that are speaking to us, sometimes our own insecurities. God speaks, and you're like, I can't do that, so that must not be God. Have you ever been there? You get a vision, you get a word, but your insecure voice starts coming up or your judgment voice, or the voice of others start coming up, and they start echoing and get louder and louder and louder to where you become deaf to the voice of God who's trying to call you in to that future filled with hope, filled with prosperity, filled with strength, but your own voice has made you deaf to it. This is the Tomatis effect. This is why we need to have a clear understanding of something that I've said here probably many times, and I want to remind you of it again. There are only two voices in this world. Two voices. This is what helps me. When I'm hearing things, when I'm talking things, when I'm deciding all the opinions around me, I have to come down. There's two voices. There's God's voice, and there's everything else. And as it, now, it's, it's good to have opinions of others. The Bible talks about if you want to walk with, if you want to be wise, what do you do? You walk with the wise. What does a word wise person do? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. They're echoing the voices of God. I've gotten with so many wise people, and I look at it, and I see God just coming out through them. And I see the voice of God. But we need to recognize there's God's voice that leads me, that guides me, that strengthens me, that is out for my future. He's out for my good. He's out to transform me, out to strengthen me. And then there's all these other voices that are out to distract me, to get me off path. There's just two voices in this world. Jesus even said it this way. He said, No one can serve two masters. Sometimes we try to listen to both voices. Have you ever been caught between two voices before? Two people? Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. There's only one voice. James says it this way. James says that such people should not even expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do because they're caught. They're like, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I go about this? What does that mean? You're unstable. You're shifting. It's like what I used to do growing up, just jumping from ice pan to ice pan. At any moment, I'm going to slip and fall through. My sister's going to be there going, I told you so. You're unstable in all of your ways. This is why God is saying and bring us back to his plan. What is God's plan? To listen to him. He's like, I'm the voice. I made you. I know where you're going. I'm the coach. I'm going to tell you what to do. I know how you can win. I know where you need to go. Listen to my voice. Isaiah 30 says it this way. It says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, that voice of God that says, that's the way, go. Go forward, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. Listen to my voice. Pay attention to my voice. Jesus said in John 16, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, what will the spirit do? He will guide you in All truth. How much? All. All. Texas tea. All right. All. (laughs) He will guide you in all truth. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Do you see how God wants to speak to us? And how he's speaking. He's pulling us in. He's saying, this is my voice. I'm going to food with the Holy Spirit that will enable you, that will transform you, that will empower you. Will guide you in all truth. So when a lie comes up, that lie detector just rings. That's the Holy Spirit in us leading us, guiding us in all truth. But we have to be committed to the Lord, committed to God, committed to the coach, committed in all of our ways. It takes commitment all in, being all the way in. So we need to be committed to him, but we also need to be committed to the playbook. And what is our playbook? It's the Bible. The playbook is the Bible. See, God thought through everything, and and he has written it all down. The Word of God is living, it is active, it is alive, and it reveals all things to us that we need to know. See, the coach thinks through everything, and what the coach is saying, he's saying that you want to win, you follow this playbook. There's opposition out there, there's distraction out there, but I've got a plan. I know how to get around it, I know what you can do in that. This is how we win. We win. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, it said, How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By guarding it according to your your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That separation from God. His word keeps us close to him. Guarding it. And as it relates to the playbook, we can trust the Bible. We can trust, and I know there's a lot of times when this comes under a lot of attack and a lot of scrutiny, and I could spend a whole series talking about the trustworthiness of the Word of God. In seminary, it's a whole class on the authenticity of Scripture. The Bible, God's Word, listen to me, It is the most trustworthy document that humanity has in the history of humanity. That's a big to some, that's a big statement. I I recognize that. But I'm standing on solid ground (laughs) when I say that. Theologian Hans Kuhn said it this way it says that lay people are usually unaware of the scrupulous scholarly work achieved by modern biblical criticism represented by scrupulous academic work over about 300 years, belongs among the greatest intellectual achievements of the human race. Has any of the great world religions outside of the Jewish Christian tradition investigated its own foundation and its own history so thoroughly and so impartially? None of them has remotely approached this. The Bible is far and away the most studied book in the world of literature. It's a big statement, backed up with a lot of data that I could go into and into, and I can give you lots of resources if you're interested in diving into it future. But theologian apologist Josh McDowell, he was once asked, he's like, what makes this playbook, what makes it different than all the other playbooks out there? Because there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of different playbooks. There's a lot of books ready to give you advice on how do you live your life and on the origins of the species and all these different things going on. Lots of things going on. What makes this so special? What makes it different? Here's what he said. He said, here's what makes it different. He said, it is a book that is based in history with historical evidence and data. In Luke 3, for example, there are eight or nine historical references in the first verse. The Bible is not just a theological dissertation, it's a theological desser- dissertation set within history that can be checked out. It's not just this ideology out there. But it is a theological dissertation that is placed within a historical context that can be checked out and studied. How do you know? Out of all the reasons and all the data that's backed up, one test that historians often use, they use what's called a historical test. And the historical test is what they use when they're studying a document. They they judge it in three areas. The first is the bibliographic. Second is the internal evidence. And then the third is the external test. So the bibliographic test goes in and looks and it says... What the Bible says, does it correlate to those early documents? Is it a match? Is it the same? Is it speaking the same thing? It looks at the ancient manuscripts of the Bible and asks whether the text of the Bible we have today is the same as the original. And the overwhelming answer to that has been, yes. When they've pulled all this together, there are thousands upon thousands of ancient manuscripts of the Bible dating from the early 2nd century down to the Middle Ages. When you compare what we have for the Bible with, say, what we have in terms of manuscripts from other important works of antiquity like Plato, it is striking. For the Bible, we have 5,000 Greek manuscripts, hundreds of papyri, almost 350 Syriac copies, most dating to the 400s. The bibliographic evidence is overwhelming and exhausting to look through. So let's go to the internal test. The internal test, this is a test that looks to determine whether the document we have before us was written by eyewitnesses. So is this written by people who actually saw it? They actually experienced this. And again, the overwhelming answer to the internal test is yes. The Bible was written by people who witnessed the events it describes. And many were even persecuted and martyred, threatened and killed to change it, but they said, we will not change it. The internal evidence is astounding. And then the third historic test is external. This is, this is where we look at what are the external evidences. But time and time again, archaeology has confirmed that the writers of the biblical, tests, biblical text knew what they were talking about. What they discovered is that the more that you dig, the more that you find is true. Does anyone go, wow, or you're like, hey, we, we knew all that. We know the Bible's good. The data to back up the Bible is overwhelming. It is amazing. And we haven't even touched the prophetic consistency. Over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus Christ. The literary consistency. 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 different writers that tell one big story of God's plan. The global influence. One theologian says it this way. He says that Christianity as set forth in the Bible, is responsible for a disproportionately large number of humanitarian advances in the history of civilization. And if that's not enough, look at the changed lives around you. Look at how the Bible, the Word of God, it changes lives. It has changed me forever. It has changed my family forever. It has changed us that follow it, that live with it. And you look through history, and you see time and time again, men and women, boys and girls, changed by the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Welcome to class. But we need to know this. We need to study it. We need to know, is the Bible true? Why is it true? God has laid everything out. We don't check our brains at the door, do we? That's why we encourage, yes, study to show yourselves approved. Whatever discipline you're going into, the sciences, the arts, the humanities, wherever it is, God is there. If it's true, God is there. He shows up. Don't be afraid to think things through. You dig enough, do you know who you're going to find? God. Are you going to have answers and, and questions that you don't have the answers to? Yes. Is that okay? Yes. We have questions about each other that we can't even figure out. So as we get into some of these other areas, it's going to be even more complicated. But what I'm here to say is don't be afraid of that. Keep digging. Don't be put off by little pat answers. Things I'm saying today, take it, go study it. Is that true what Pastor Dwayne said today? Read about it, study it. You will find God. The more that you dig and the deeper you go, you'll find God because he, he started it all. He created it all. Read it, study it. Now do it with humility and grace in your hearts, right? Don't be like, hey, Pastor Dwayne said it's the word of God, so take it and shove it, Okay? No, it is grace, it is filled. He gave us his word to bring us into him with love in our hearts, with grace in our hearts. It's open and welcoming. Jesus never forced anybody. Jesus walked through his life saying, I am the word of God, I'm the word made flesh. Are you weary and heavy laden? Follow me, take my yoke upon you. Some people got it immediately, some people took a long time and he walked with them. That's what we do. That's what we should do. So, don't mishear what I'm saying today. I'm not giving you a club today to hit somebody. I'm giving you life changing, love, powerful word of God that should be poured out in grace in your life. What is grace? Something you can't earn and you don't deserve. Exhibit A Grace. This is how we walk. we need to know his playbook we need to know his playbook and if you and if you read the bible and you look at it and go man this is difficult to understand i don't get i don't see it do you know what god has done he's given us other coaches to come in see every football team it's not just a head coach there's line coaches there's defensive coaches there's all kinds of people in there to help us Help us to walk it out. Help us to live it out. Here at Shorlon Community Church, we have groups and Bible studies and mentors ready to go through. Because here's the thing, when you know the playbook, when you're walking with the playbook and you know it, it takes very little direction to get you in the right way. When you know the word of God and it's hidden in your heart and it's changed you, it takes very little direction. You get on the field and the coach is going, blue 42, blue 42. Got it. And the line snaps into place and you're ready to go. See, so if you don't know the playbook, the coach has to go, okay, I'm going to have you guys line up here. We're going to put the big guy in the middle. We're going to put these two guys in here because they're fast on the side. We're going to have a quarterback. He's going to put his hands right there. It's a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. That's where it's where are supposed to go. And they're going to snap it back. And He's going to come back. And he's going to throw around and look and see where it goes. And if, it, if he can't see anybody open, he's going to run in for a touchdown. Imagine that exhaustion every play. And who hears it? Everybody. They go, oh, that's what you're doing. When you know the play, you just call it. And it just takes very little. I played basketball, so our coach would go, three, three, and we're like, okay, yeah, we're there, we're there. We'd line down, and if we did the play accurately, most of the time we scored. Because he's looking, he's seeing it. And the coach even looks ahead, and, and when he sees there's something hard and difficult coming, he calls a play where he's like, you know what? They're coming after our quarterback. We're not going to let that happen, are we, guys? We're going to surround him. We're going to walk it in, and we're going to bust through their line, and we're going to make it happen. I'm going to protect you. You watch what happens. That's what God does in our life. But we need to know His Word. Because when we're walking in it, I don't have to guess all the time. I don't need a divine revelation for every little thing in my life. God writes it down. He studies it. It's in my heart so I won't sin against him. It leads me. It guides me. And the voice echoes. And I'm like, yeah, that's God. Yeah, that's God. Yeah, that's Matthew right there. That's Ephesians right there. That's Samuel right there. That's Genesis over here. And it's coming. And I can run with confidence knowing I'm on good ground. But we need to know it. We've got to be committed to the coach. But we've got to know the playbook. We've got to study it. And so many other religions of the world, they put us to shame. They know their playbook. From a very young age, they've come up in it, knowing it, memorizing it. Some religions memorizing all of it. That's why I love JBQ. We had a team yesterday that was undefeated. Isn't that awesome? That's why it's so powerful. At a young age, how does a young man keep his ways pure? The word of God. We need to know it. Because when we don't know the play, what does the coach call? Time out. Time out. <laughs> Dwayne, what are you doing? You, that's not what I called. Do you, know the word, do you know what I wrote? I gave it to you in the New Living, in the King James, in the New Living Translation, in the message, in the ESV. I brought you teachers. I brought you classes. Do you know what's going on, Dwayne? And then he refreshes me on it. It's like, all right, fly, little one. Let's go. Let's try it again. We need to know the playbook. So then I'm walking, I look up, and God's just like calling a three. All right, God, let's go. And he walks with me, and he's there with me, and he's leading me. Very little direction. Because I'm committed to him. I'm committed to know the word of God. But the last thing I want to talk about very quickly today is we also need to have a commitment to obey. Everyone say obey. Obey. You got to (laughs) obey. Again, what do they call players that don't obey? Bench warmers. (laughs) Bench warmers. You go to pass the ball, they're not there. You know? Or they're looking at their phone over on the sidelines. I didn't have a phone in high school, but I'm. Well, I had a phone, but it had a long curly cord on the side. I had to kind of go around the corner and try to talk to somebody with it. We need to have this commitment to obey. And not just listen to one thing that God says. I love how Mark Batterson says it in his book. He says, if you aren't willing to listen to everything God has to say, you'll eventually get to the point where you won't hear anything God has to say. Do You hear that? If we aren't willing to listen to everything that God has to say, we'll eventually get to the point where we'll hear nothing that God has to say. If we want to hear the comfort in God's voice, we need to be willing to hear the correction in God's voice. Amen? If you want to hear the comfort, you've got to hear the correction. Because God sharpens every tool that he uses, and he perfects it so it can walk in ease. And I'm telling you, God sharpens my life. And he speaks his words through other people to sharpen it. And then I go off and I walk in God and sometimes it gets blunt, sometimes it gets chipped, sometimes I misuse it and it gets broken. And so I come back and he's correcting it. He's sharpening it. See, God corrects not to condemn you and not to humiliate you. He corrects you to transform you and to revitalize you and to bring you back to him. It's not shame, it's salvation. It's restoring you back to who you are. You hear a voice of shame, that's not God. God, now, God says that's wrong. I've heard that voice, okay? That's wrong, that conviction from the Holy Spirit. But then He says, all right, let's, let's, let's get it right. You need to go to that person and apologize. <laughs> you need to walk right in this. That's what God does. And then He comforts us. But we need to be willing to hear all of it, or we'll eventually get to the point where we'll hear none of it. Have you ever had a child just hear part of what you said? You will. <laughs> you will. I did that. My mom gave me a dollar and said, I want you to go to the store and buy a loaf of bread. All right, mom. So I took the dollar, I walked to the store, and I bought, this this was when, I don't think I'm that old, maybe I am, I don't know, but I I could buy a bottle of Coke, a bag of chips, and a little candy bar, (laughs) right? There was no Seattle sugar tax back then, okay? I, I could buy all those things. I could buy the Coke, the chips, and the candy bar, and I come home, and my mom be like, what happened? Well, you told me to go to the store. I went to the store, Mom. You told me to take the dollar. I took the dollar. Yeah, but I told you to get bread. We need bread. Is there a problem in communication? (laughs) I got two out of three, right, and two out of three ain't bad. But I missed the whole purpose. The purpose wasn't going to the store. The purpose wasn't having a dollar. The purpose was getting bread to feed the family. So she did a lot more training than that. But that's why Jesus said, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. For Samuel to obey is better than a sacrifice. And when this was spoken, this was spoken to Saul in response to Saul's disobedience. Because Saul, he knew what God wanted him to do. But he only did part of it. And here's what happens when we only do part of what God calls us to. We try to put God in a place as consultant in our life. What does a consultant do? A consultant comes in. We perceive them as the expert. You're the expert. And I want you to give me some ideas and talk to me about this. But I make no promises to do everything that a consultant does. I can take it or I can leave it. If it sounds good, I'll do it. If not, then I won't. Do we ever treat God that way? God, I hear what you said. You said to do this. You said to go over here. I'll take it under advisement. At the point that you do that, you, you are no longer treating him like God. You're treating him like a consultant. God is no consultant. God's in charge. He knows what's best for us. See, Saul, he adapted the plan And he paid for it. He said, nice plan, God, but I've got it from here. And this is the original temptation back in the garden. That whole idea of questioning what God said. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve and said, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? See, God is communicating to us. He's no consultant. And as we head on into this year, Committed to Him, we need to be committed to His voice, knowing His voice, committed to Him, knowing the Word of God, and obeying His voice, but obeying everything. No consultant. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together as the worship team comes this morning. Mm. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word that is a light unto our path. Light unto our feet. Shows us where to go, and it's a loving voice that's filled with grace. Lord, I pray today as we wrap this up that we would hear your voice now. We would hear your voice fresh and anew. In your listening guide this morning and up on the screen, there are questions that I really want us to ponder. And one of the biggest questions I think that we need to ask ourselves Is have I made God just a consultant in my life? Ask yourself that. Ask God that. Say, God, am I treating you like a consultant? (laughs) I take it when I like it. I reject it when I don't. This is you and God. Just close your eyes and just ask the Lord this question we posed earlier. God, am I listening to everything that you're telling me? because I don't want to miss anything. Am I listening to everything that God has to say? I don't want to miss anything. We are in such a day of darkness. Where so many. They're doing what even, what they see right in their own eyes. Even those who profess to be following Christ. They lean into their own understanding. They lean into their own ways. When Lord, we need to lean on you. We need to lean on you. Do you know the Word of God? Do you know His playbook? And say, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Get with somebody, get in a group, find a mentor. We just read Scripture together and say, What is the Lord saying to us here? Your group could be you and just one person getting together, reading it and saying, what do we think God is saying here in this passage? He made it simple for us. And if it gets tough and you don't know, you can talk to, You can come to one of the pastors. You can, there's online study things. His word is so available to us, but do we know it? Are we living by it? Ask yourself, how is your relationship? And do you trust him? Are you fully committed to God? Are you fully committed to him? You can say, speak, Lord, God, the great I am. Recognize you as the one who's in charge of everything. And then say, speak, Lord, your servant. I am your servant. I surrender completely and totally to you. I'm listening. As we respond while the worship team sings this morning, What a great time for communion to once again be reminded as you take the bread and the juice, symbols of God's commitment to you. See, we're committed to him, but look at how much he was committed to us. He laid his life down. And he said, never forget, because you need to remember, this body was broken for you. I endured physical pain for you because I love you. And then the cup, the healing, representing the healing blood of Jesus Christ. Where do you need healing today? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it mental? Are the parts of your spirit, whatever it is, surrendering to God? Let that be a consecration, God. I'm committing to you, to your voice, to your will, all of it, everything of it. Because God is God of everything, not just part. He's not out for part of you. He's out for all of you. Because he's out to transform you. Or maybe you want to go to the prayer wall and just write it down. Maybe it's a commitment. I commit to you. Forgive me, God, for this. Help me, God, in this. Bring me a mentor. Bring me somebody who can help me in this. Whatever that prayer is. Or maybe as we respond today... You want to go to someone, a prayer team on the side. Our prayer team is out there. They're praying. Go to them. Say, pray with me today. Maybe you're going, I want to surrender my life to God today. I want to give it all to God today. That would be the greatest, most awesome thing ever, to surrender, to recommit your life to God. Let's take some time to respond. Maybe you need to turn to your neighbor and go, you know what? I got some stuff I need to confess to somebody. I got some stuff I just need to let you know about, or I want you to pray for me right now. But let's take these moments to respond to the word of the Lord, amen? Let's respond. Let's go to our God who loves us, filled with grace. Let's respond to him today.